Thanks so much for joining us today. The Bible reading for this message is taken from Ruth chapter 3. It'll be great if you could push pause on this video now, go and have a read through Ruth chapter 3, and then come back. Also, if you're here regularly, won't you please subscribe to the channel, turn on notifications, and also uh, push the like button on this video if you find anything that is said uh, helpful or encouraging to yourself. So that's Ruth chapter 3, and we'll see you back here in just a moment. The Bible will often give us pictures and images of God to help our imaginations to understand and our emotions to connect with Him. One of these pictures is a picture of a bird and its wings being placed over its young to protect and to provide a place of refuge for them. In Psalm chapter 57 verse 1 we read, Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. In Psalm chapter 17 and verse 8, we read, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. And then in Psalm 36, verse 7, How priceless is your unfailing love. Both high and low among men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. It's interesting to note that all three of those psalms and a few others were written by David. I don't think it's a coincidence that David was the great-grandson of Boaz. In Ruth chapter 2 and verse 12, Boaz prayed for Ruth and said this, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And in chapter 3, where we arrive at today, we discover that Ruth now takes that picture, that imagery of finding refuge under wings, and speaks it back to Boaz. It's almost as though this family uh, had a unique understanding of what it meant to find refuge under the wings of the Lord. It isn't a new image that that's introduced, in actual fact we find it for the first time in the book of Exodus. Uh, but it is an image that this family seems to love because they have experienced it in a unique way. And yet it is the experience of all God's people in all times and all places that they are invited to find refuge and rest under the wings of God. At the beginning of chapter 3, the story picks up at the end of the barley harvest. So Ruth has been working with Boaz, woman in the field. She's been gleaning. Uh, she has been providing for herself and for Naomi uh, through this provision uh, that the Lord made in the law that Boaz was acting on. And now at the end of this time, Naomi is concerned to find a place of ongoing provision and protection and rest for Ruth. In fact, the whole of chapter 3 really is about finding rest, searching for and finding rest. And so we meet Naomi speaking to Ruth, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be provided for? Uh, the ESV actually talks about, must should I not, I must find rest for you, Ruth. And the whole chapter really is about finding rest. It's there in verse 1, and then at the end of the chapter, we are left with Boaz saying that he will not rest until he has provided the rest. So those are the bookends of Ruth chapter 3. We tend to make rest something quite small and narrow. 
However, the full biblical understanding of rest is much richer than this. A rest is a journey's end. It is the fulfillment of promise. It is the celebration of completion. The promise of rest uh, in the land was what kept the Israelites going and what sustained them when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Uh, the rest that they were promised wasn't due to their own achievement, and it certainly wasn't a reward for their faithfulness. Rest was a pure gift from God. And in a similar way, the rest of the Sabbath, so the law of God says six days you shall work and on the seventh you shall rest, that law was not simply the relief from labor, it wasn't simply a reward for working hard for six days, uh, it wasn't, it, it was, it was there because it was an opportunity to remember two things about God. Firstly, to celebrate God's finished work of creation. And secondly, to remember His redemption, His saving His people. And what's truly amazing is that the New Testament tells us that an even greater rest awaits us in heaven. A rest that we already begin to taste when we accept Jesus gracious gifts to come to Him and to lay our burdens before Him. And this rest is part of God's covenant blessing, His gracious gift that He bestows upon His children. So the promise of rest in this chapter is presented as the gift of God, who is providentially and sovereignly overruling all things for the good of those involved. And this idea it has a continuity that runs right the way throughout the Bible. And so what we see here is Naomi wanting to provide rest for Ruth. And so she takes the initiative. She devises a plan to capitalize on the possibility of the chance meeting of Ruth and Boaz back in chapter 2. She says, uh, now Boaz, the, the, with whom, whose woman you've been working with, tonight he's going to be willowing at the Barney barley harvest. So here's what you do, Ruth. You're going to enhance your feminine appeal. You're going to wash. You're going to get dressed up. You're going to put on perfume and smell nice. And then you're going to go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you're there until he's had something to eat, until he's had something to drink. Then when he goes and he lies down, watch carefully where he goes and lies down. Then go and lie down at his feet and uncover his feet the implication uh, isn't anything sinister or sinful. It's just uncover his feet because then he'll wake up in the night cold and he'll see you there. And when he does, he will tell you what you should do. Friends, here is a very important principle that we need to learn as we think about God's sovereignty and as we understand God's provision. When we properly understand and believe in the sovereignty and providence of God, it will, not lead us, it will not lead us down a path of fatalism or passivity. Quite the contrary. It provides hope and confidence for us to move forward. That is certainly the effect that it has on Naomi here. When she knows that Ruth is working in Boaz's field, that they've had this encounter, that Boaz has been kind and generous towards her, she goes on the offensive, she takes the initiative, and she hatches a plan. Now it is important to note two things here. Firstly, 
we're not sure exactly what Naomi was trying to set up. We don't know if she was trying to get a husband uh, for Ruth, although it does seem that that's the implication, or if she was just trying to help Ruth to get onto Boaz's payroll as one of the other, as, the same as the other woman that she was working with. But what we need to understand is that there was a law in the Old Testament that required provision be made for women like Ruth, who had been married, who had not had any children, and whose husband had died. A relative was then required to marry the widow. That's what this kinsman redeemer or guardian redeemer is all about. So they would have to marry the widow, and if they had children, then that child would become the heir of the dead husband. And that heir would secure a future for the mother, for the widow, because now she had an heir, and it would also secure the land that belonged to the mother's dead husband. This was the provision that God had written into the law to protect widows and to provide for them. And so it seems, at least at some point in time, this is very much being introduced into the story because in chapter 2, we're told that Boaz was a guardian redeemer. And again, uh, now, uh, Ruth is supposed to put herself in front of him so that he can respond in kind. Well, we're about to find out what that in kind is. Uh, there were obvious dangers to this. The first obvious danger was that Boaz had told his men no one should touch Ruth. So going out in the middle of the night to a big party uh, as a widow, that had uh, serious potential consequences. There was also the opportunity that people took this the wrong way or that even Boaz took this the wrong way. But again, there's a principle in here that when we understand right initiative, then we'll also understand that there is... Uh, a risk, when our motivations are right and true, a risk that is often worth, worth taking. And so Ruth does everything that she can to enhance her feminine attractiveness, and she goes and she acts on Naomi's plan. So she gets out there, and when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and he was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile, and Ruth approached quietly, she uncovered his feet and lay down. And in the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and there was a woman lying at his feet. And just like any one of us would do if there was a strange person lying at our feet, he said, who are you? And she replied, I am your servant, Ruth. She said, now up until this point, this is all going according to Naomi's plan. She uncovers his feet, he wakes up, he asks who she is, he manages not to wake up a whole bunch of other uh, people, which would have had all other kinds of implications, because hey, what's Boaz doing over there with that woman? But then things change, because then Ruth goes off script. Instead of just waiting for Boaz to tell her what to do, she says to him, spread the corner of your garment over me. That's if you're reading the NIV. If you're reading the ESV and in the original language, she actually says, spread your wing over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. You see what's happening there? See, here's this, this family image that they have of God that's playing out. She is saying to Boaz, who said to her in chapter 2, may you find refuge under the wings of God. She's saying, will you be the answer to the prayer that you have prayed. And so Boaz replies with these words, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. So here's this kindness thing again, this hesed. Uh, 
Ruth's kindness to Naomi, Boaz's kindness to Ruth, and now Ruth's kindness back to Boaz. You showed me this great kindness, and the kindness that you showed me is that you haven't have to run after other men, and you haven't run after younger men. Uh, you have chosen me. And so, my daughter, I don't want you to be afraid. Here's this incredible tenderness that he shows her. There's a, a nobleness of character that is about Boaz. And yet you're waiting for the but. And you know that there's a but coming because this is such a great love story. Although it's true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I am. So Ruth, uh, as it were, in this exchange with Boaz, says, listen, Boaz, will you spread your ring over me, your, your wing over me? Boaz replies, actually, Ruth, I would love to do that. This kindness is amazing. I can't believe that you've chosen me. So this is a great love story, complete uh, by this revelation that there is a, another man who could ruin all of this. But in calling Ruth's act a kindness, uh, Boaz indirectly declares his love for her and encourages her to make her choice of him her own and to hold to it in the face of this disclosure that he now feels that he has to make about this other man. But as we get to the end of this chapter, the, it doesn't end on a downer, which you kind of think that you might, although it ends on a little bit of a cliffhanger. It ends on an extraordinary note of bold confidence. Uh, because Boaz doesn't stop here by saying what there's another. He actually then extends a promise to Ruth. This chapter ends, like chapter 2, with Ruth returning back to Naomi. And of course, Naomi wants to know exactly what it is that has happened. What took place? Two very important things take place. The first one is in verse 13, when Boaz says, Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. So here's this promise that Boaz gives. And then he doesn't just give a promise. He also then gives a security deposit, an engagement ring. He says, give me your shawl, give me your outer garment, and he fills it up. Now, on one level, you might think, okay, well, he's just being generous again. Uh, but again, there is an, some incredible imagery that's going on here. The, the garment that he asked for was the garment that, like a shawl, um, bigger than a scarf. It was the kind of thing that women who were working in the fields, they would have put their babies in. They would have carried their babies on their backs or on their fronts, wrapped up in this thing. And so by Boaz filling up the shawl, it's as though he's, he's promising uh, to provide uh, a child. But what's more than that is that he's also filling it up. The filling thing is incredibly important because if you remember back in chapter 1, Naomi spoke about herself as being empty. Chapter 1, verse 21. And what we have here is that she's no longer empty. So look at verse 17. He gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Ruth, and now by implication Naomi, are no longer empty-handed. And then Naomi says, wait my daughter until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. And so as we come to the end of this story in chapter 3, what do we learn about searching for rest from the story of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz? 
I think the first thing that we learn is the importance of initiative. The ability to spot an opportunity when it presents itself and the will to seize it. That is exactly what we see Naomi and Ruth doing in the first half of this chapter. Naomi sees God's hand and a human opportunity that has been given to them in Ruth meeting Boaz, in Boaz recognizing her, in his seeing her, and in his providing for her. And so she does not rest. This is an opportunity that is not to be missed. But spotting that opportunity is only half of the initiative that is needed. There must be a plan, an action to match it. And Naomi's mind works quickly. She hatches the plan. Ruth takes courage and boldly goes about executing that plan. And what I want to say there, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes that we are to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And so let me ask you, what initiative have you taken in the last week or in the last month to work out your salvation? What initiative is driving you towards seeing the opportunity to find rest for your soul that you are grabbing hold of with both hands? How are you making sure that you will enter into the rest that God has promised you? You see, if we believe in God's sovereignty and God's providence, we cannot just sit back and let life wash over us. We have a responsibility to take the spiritual initiative in our lives and to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Of course, that's not the whole story. It's only the beginning. Because if persons are ever to arrive at rest, at the rest that they're seeking, they must also know when to stop striving and to begin waiting. Did you notice at the end of chapter 3, all that Ruth and Naomi can do is sit back and wait. Their fate is actually completely now in somebody else's hand. The truth is that Naomi's quest in this chapter would not be successful if Boaz had not made the promise. And the peace of mind that Ruth and Naomi have at the end of the chapter would not have been reached if they had not trusted in the promise. And so this is the second principle that the chapter teaches us. Rest in the way that the Bible speaks of it is fundamentally a gift and cannot be achieved by striving alone. Run one must learn to trust. In Philippians chapter 2, straight after Paul says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he then adds, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Rest is a gift that we cannot achieve for ourselves. It is something that God has promised to us and we must learn to trust. Uh, this is uh, profound when we think about this story in Ruth, when we go back to chapter 1 and chapter 2 and we recognize Ruth uh, choosing to trust in Naomi's God and to join his people and when Boaz words that Ruth has taken refuge in the Lord, the God of Israel. And although she may not have realized it at the time, the Lord had made provision in his law for just such a person as herself, 
for the widow and for the poor and for the alien. More than that, there have been repeated hints in chapter 1 and 2 that God is sovereignly moving to bring Ruth into contact with Boaz to make this relationship happen and to bless her through him. In other words, behind Boaz's promise lies the commitment of God himself to meet Ruth and Naomi's need. To believe the promise of Boaz is in effect to believe the promise of God and to recognize that even the opportunity to seek rest is his gift. Without God's prior initiative, there would be no rest to be found and no redeemer to provide it. And so friends, at the end of the story, it does all seem to hang on human initiative and decision. It's easy to forget that something else is happening here because it's all so ordinary. There's no dream, there's no vision, there's no voice from heaven, there's no angels, there's no sign in the sky. It's just a human plan laden with all the riskiness, the risky business of human decision. But this is not the right way to look at life, not then and not now. In all of the maneuverings of this very human plan, God was at work. Our God is not limited to the spectacular. Our God is not limited to those activities that cannot be explained any other way. Like the insurance companies love to say, it is an act of God. Our God is not to be explained as uh, those things over there, those are God's activities, and these things here, well, these are our activities. God is not averse to using very human, very weak, and very fallible people to further his purposes. He used the advice of Naomi and the family loyalty of Ruth and the nobleness of Boaz to further his purposes in the dark days of the judges that in generations to come, a king would be brought forth from their children. God had not needed to step in in some spectacular way because he was already in. Uh, right in the thick of it all. And it's quite fascinating to read the book of Judges alongside the book of Ruth, because in the book of Judges, God does raise up judges, and there are some incredible stories. But amidst all of that, the story of Ruth was taking place, through whom God would send a Redeemer for His people. We who are on the other side of the cross need to remember that God still uses very human, very weak, very fallible people to further his purposes. In Jesus' day, he used some fishermen, a tax collector, prostitutes, and sinners. He used a man who considered himself not worthy of being called an apostle to take the message of the gospel to the four corners of the world. Today, he uses the details of your life, of your contacts, of your opportunities, of your gifts and abilities, of your resources, of your finances, your feeble words, to further that same message to the actual ends of the earth here on the very tip of the African continent. That is what life is all about, isn't it? Isn't that what your life is all about? It's what my life is all about. It's about... Uh, and having been touched by the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, 
I begin to understand that all human activity, all my activity, all your activity, when I break it down to its final analysis, is in actual fact the activity of God Himself. Do not fall into the trap of limiting God to the extraordinary. He is in total control of the usual and the unusual, of the stranger things and the normal things. He was in the story of Ruth, and he is in your story today. So do not devalue what people today might call ordinary in your life. Recognize your daily life for what it really is full of opportunity to live a life worthy of the gospel, to live a life of faith, to come to Jesus and find rest for your souls, uh, to continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, taking all the initiative, seizing all the opportunities, uh, growing in your walk with the Lord every single day in all of those ordinary experiences and bringing glory to Him in all that you find to do knowing full well that it is God who is working in you to will and to act according to his good purposes. See God not just in the spectacular and the extraordinary, but in the very ordinary details of human life. Break it down to that final analysis uh, to see uh, that all of your activity is, can be used by God and is an extension of the activity of God. Uh, take those risks to speak the gospel into somebody's life, to speak the word of God into other people's lives. Uh, take the initiative and the responsibility for yourself uh, to make sure that you enter into God's rest. Take the initiative and seize the opportunity to make sure that you don't fail to enter into God's rest. And so will you renew your trust in the God who is leading all of history to its great finale, when Jesus returns to take us home and to give us unbroken rest for our body, for our mind, and for our soul. In Jesus Christ, God has offered you a guardian, kinsman, redeemer. Will you trust his promise that he has made to you, that he will redeem you, that he will save you, that he will give you rest. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, Jesus said, and I will give you rest. Will you trust in that promise as you wait for him to return? As we finish off thinking about this theme of rest, the warning of Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, becomes so incredibly important. The writer says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you should be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have heard the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them, because those who heard it did not combine it with faith. Friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us be careful that none of us should fall short of God's rest. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, please would you help us to enter into your promised rest. In Jesus' name, amen.